Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Well, once again, I want to welcome you to Community Christian Church. Say it's great to have you here. Good morning. How are you feeling this morning? You feeling pretty good? Hope you're feeling as good as you look, because you look really good. And as you've already heard a couple of times, today's the fourth and final message in the James series. And I don't know exactly why it is, but reading through the book of James this time around, and I'm talking about looking at every verse and preparing for these four messages during the month of August, has created a good deal of conviction for me. And please don't misunderstand. I have read the book of James countless times. If I were to say as a pastor, I read it 20 or 25 times all the way through, I do not think that would be an exaggeration. And I love the book of James, always have, I still do. But for some reason, during this particular study, Words of correction and conviction have jumped off the pages of Scripture as if I was reading this book and this epistle for the very first time. And maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only one around here who's off a little spiritually. And so the Holy Spirit's trying to get my attention. But after reading James and reading it seriously and carefully, I've had to do a little more repenting than rejoicing. And if you were here with us for the first lesson, when I introduced all of that, you know precisely what I'm talking about. See, the the secret, the key with a series like this is not just information, as much as we like that. It's not just about more information, but rather application. And James says it best when he says, I pray that you wouldn't be hearers of the word only, but doers of the word. And so my prayer for you, the same that it's been all month, is that you would allow the word of God to come alive in you. That you would not only just hear it, but you would respond to it. So let's look at the remaining verses here in the book of James. James chapter 4 and verse 13 through James 5.20. And again, these verses seem to carry along with them just a little bit of extra fire and brimstone. So I'm giving you fair warning. You be the judge. James chapter 4, beginning with verse 13. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and you brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. What is it? Anyone who knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. 
Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and your silver are corroded and their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Not a very pleasant image there. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged, because the judge, the real judge, is standing at the door. As an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you'll be condemned. Is any among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Uh, maybe you were a few moments ago. Don't know about now. But if you're still happy, let them sing songs of praise. Is any among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner, a what? Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitudes, a multitude of sins. All right, here in these last 25 verses of James chapters 4 and 5, James talks a lot about sin. In fact, as we were reading through there, it seems like he just camped out at that place. And in our culture today, if there's one word that creates uh, quite a bit of passion and emotion and dissension, it would have to be the word sin. We just don't like it. And we certainly don't appreciate when pastors and preachers imply or insinuate that we are sinners. How dare they do something like that? But what does sin really mean? What is the biblical definition for the word sin? That's right. It literally means to miss the mark. In the Greek, the word sin is an archery term. And it indicates that the arrow that just left your bow did not hit the center of the bullseye. 
And in chapters 4 and 5, that's precisely what James is attempting to communicate to his readers. He's saying your spiritual arrows are missing the mark. In fact, for a second, forget about the bullseye. James says you're not even close to coming near the target. And how can that be? Is it even possible for good and decent brothers and sisters in the Lord who attend church, who love God with all their hearts, who have a desire to serve Him, to find themselves in a place so far removed from the plan of God that we would even ask ourselves, how did we get here? How are we so far off base and off the mark? You see, that's sin. That's what, it, what in, in the Bible, that's what sin is called. It's called missing the mark. And again, we hear the word sin quite often in these last few verses. And when we hear sin, uh, you know, we're uptight and we get condemned and we, we think about a, a few things. And what we normally think about are all the really bad things that people do, like the sex-related infractions. That's what pops into our mind. And then we think about other activities, like the sex-related infractions, adultery, and pornography, and other forms of immorality, living with one another outside of marriage and doing different things in disobedience to the Word of God. And please, listen to me very carefully. Not for a moment am I attempting to minimize the pain and agony and emotional brokenness that comes as a result of those types of sins. But here in James chapters 4 and 5, James doesn't even mention the sex thing. In fact, he doesn't even call our attention to any of the other hot-button issues or topics that typically make it to the top 10 list when we're talking about sin. Now, in these verses, James talks about another category of infractions. Not the sins of commission, but the sins of omission. Not the bad and the ungodly things that we do or the people of God do from time to time, but rather the good things, the good behavior that we're supposed to be involved in, but for one reason or another, we don't get there. In fact, James chapter 4 and verse 17 just sets the stage. He says, anyone then, anyone who knows the good, not the bad, but the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. When there's some good behavior, when there's attributes and characteristics and things that God wants us to do as Christians, and we just don't do them, Forget for a minute all the other bad things that I just mentioned. When we don't do the things that we're supposed to do, that's what James is calling our attention to in these verses. And so with regard to James chapters 4 and 5, let me give you a short list of three behaviors, good behaviors, that the people of God Church-going people like you and me should be involved in, but for one reason or another, we fail to miss the mark. Or we let them slip by the wayside. Number one, are you ready for these? 
We'll look at them one at a time. Number one, seek God's will instead of our own. Seek God's will instead of our own. And again, these behaviors that I'm going to talk to you about, they come right from the verses that we just read. James chapter 4 and verse 15 says, we ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will do this or that. You know, so many people, they're not all that interested in God's will because we're basically stuck on our will. Like our goals and our dreams and our aspirations and all of our interests, they become of a higher priority than what God wants us to do. You know, during the days of the early church, if there was any written communication between two believers, they would always conclude their letter with two initials, DV, D like David, V like Victor. DV is an abbreviation for two Latin words, Deo Valente, which means God willing. And Paul, Paul the Apostle taught them this. To the Ephesians, in Acts chapter 18 and verse 21, Paul wrote this. He said, I will return to you, DV, God willing. As much as he wanted to, as much as he put it in his plans, he said, if God is willing, I'm going to return to you. In 1 Corinthians 16, 7, Paul said, I trust to tarry a while with you. It's really what I want to do. I want to stay with you. DV, God willing or God permitting. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with setting goals for your life or projecting into the future and coming up with a plan or a strategy for the days ahead. In fact, doing that is a wise and prudent thing to do. But don't do that on your own. Don't just come up with the ideas by yourself or bounce them off a friend or two. Consider, James says, seeking the Lord about it. Asking God... I mean, literally coming before God and saying, God, what's your will in this particular situation? You know, during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, don't get all hung up on the future, how it's going to play out, what's going to happen next week or next month. Don't, don't get stuck there. But he said, what's really important is that you learn, Matthew 6, to seek first the kingdom of God. To be more concerned about how your life is going to impact the kingdom of God more so than anything else. This is what God is after. And so Jesus basically taught, he taught us, include God in everything that you do. Don't exclude God. Involve him. Ask God about your plans, like where you're going to live, where you're going to work or go to school. If you should get married, who you should get married to. Even where you should attend church. And this is a good one. Sometimes people, they make decisions on where they want to go to church by the kind of coffee that's served. You know, it's a good thing to get a good cup of coffee before or after the service. But you know what? Seek God's will on it. Say to yourself, have the attitude, this is what I'm going to do, DV. God willing, or God permitting, or if it's in accordance with God's word. I would say you should even seek the Lord on which life group you should register for. Amen. It should be a matter of prayer. 
Look through the catalog, look through the list and pray about it. Don't, don't just grab something that's of interest to you. Involve God in that very important step. And as Dave mentioned just a couple moments ago, since this is the last of our registration and rally days for the Fall Life Group, even though we're going to be registering through the month of September, let me give you a really quick little story. Years ago, a gal that had been attending Community Christian Church for a long time made an appointment to come and see me. We talked a little bit about some things, and then she brought up her marriage. And come to find out, she had a great marriage. She'd been married for a number of years, married to a great guy, very loving, very patient, hardworking man. The only complaint that she had, if, if you would call it a complaint, is that he refused to go to church with her. He didn't want anything to do with church. And she just told me emotionally that she would love for her husband to sit next to her during the church service. And so she asked if I would reach out to him, if I would call him or contact him and invite him to come to church. And so I prayed about it, and what I decided to do was invite him to one of the Wednesday night barbecues. Because I learned with guys, a good way to get in is to feed them. So, you know, a free uh, hamburger and hot dog, I, I figured that opened the door, so he came. He accepted the invitation. He came to the barbecue. We talked, had a nice conversation. She was absolutely right. He was a great guy, very social, you know, loved to be around people, uh, snuck in a little something about church and put his hands up and says, hey, been there, done that, don't want any part of that, for whatever reason. So I said, would you consider meeting with a group of people at their home and not going to church, but being a part of the life group? I said, you'll get to know some people, form some relationships. Would you be willing to try that? And he did. He accepted the invitation to go to a life group, and he loved it. Every time they got together, he was there. And about two or three months later, guess what happened? He came to church. Then he started to come to church all the time. And then I saw him raising his hand during the worship service. And now he is a member of our congregation, very faithful man of God. So I'm going to tell you, I'm pretty confident, like right around the 100 percentile, that it's God's will for you to be in a life group. You have to seek which one. So check it out with him. All right. Seeking God's will instead of your own. That's number one. Number two, remember the poor. Say that. Remember the poor. A second godly behavior that James instructs us to engage in is to remember the poor. And when I say remember the poor, I'm talking about reaching out and helping those around you who might be less fortunate than you, who might be needy. In James chapter 5 and verse 3, he warns us not to depend upon our own wealth or riches. And he says that you better get this one right because if you don't, your self-indulgence or your selfishness one day is going to testify against you. Now, do you have any idea when it is the hardest to remember the poor? When it's really difficult to think about the poor? It's when the economy is good, not when it's bad, but when it's up and to the right like it is right now. 
And the reason it's so difficult to remember the poor, think about the poor in a good economy, is because during a good economy or when things are going well and everybody's working and inflation is low and, and, and everybody's buzzing about how great the economy is, that's, as, that's when you begin to spend a little bit more money on yourself. And you begin to think about the things that you wanted and the projects that you wanted to involve yourself in when the economy was flat. Nobody spends any extra money, or you shouldn't, when it's a bad economy, but when it starts to get good, that's when the checkbook comes out and you start writing a little bit more money to yourself. You know, in my neighborhood, the last couple of months, all I see are contractor vans and trucks because my neighbors are doing massive renovation plans. They're, they're putting in hot tubs and swimming pools and changing their floor covering and doing their landscaping and all the big projects that you can't do when the economy's bad. And there's nothing wrong with that. Please, don't misunderstand me. It's okay to spend some money on yourself. You deserve it. God doesn't mind at all. In fact, God is the one who provides for you to be able to spend the money that you have. The scripture says every good and perfect gift comes from him, including the gift of a good economy that comes from God. And so sometimes it's difficult to remember the poor when life is good, when we have plenty. And so James encourages us. He, he recommends that we add compassion and generosity to our financial portfolio, especially when things are good. And here at Community Christian Church, we have made reaching out to the poor and remembering the poor a top priority. We've done that for years and years. And we've invited you to get involved. Every May for the last number of years, we've designated it as our Mission Sunday. And we've invited you to prayerfully consider donating $250 to our missions budget to help us in our desire to feed the hungry and clothe those who have very little, to give medical care to the sick, fresh drinking water to those that don't have it, to fight injustice, and all of the other things that we do through our missions and our outreach, we've invited you to give as a part of that, to remember the poor. You know, $250 in a good economy that's not a huge request. It's not a big ask. But I can tell you this, and it's no exaggeration. Because of your faithfulness to give, because of your compassion and your desire to remember the poor, Community Christian Church is changing the world. Again, that's not an exaggeration. I get to hear from the missionaries that we support, how their communities, their cities, and even their nations are being changed because of our gifts. You see, when you take the time to sow into the kingdom of God, by the grace of God, you reap a huge harvest. And so it's been our desire that riches and wealth and all of the good things that God has blessed us with will never testify against us but only to his goodness and to his glory. A third and final behavior for believers to engage in is to keep your word. Say that. Keep your word. 
James chapter 5 and verse 12 says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. In other words, be very careful with what you say and how you say it. If, you're going, if you say you're going to do something, follow through and do it. If you're not going to do it, just say no. Everyone knows Proverbs 18.21. Proverbs 18.21 says death and life is in the power of the tongue. And that truth goes so far beyond just our words. It also incorporates the promises and the commitments that we make. As believers, we should be people of integrity. And if we make a promise or if we make a commitment, then we ought to follow through with it. We ought to keep our promise. Ecclesiastes 5.5 says, it's better to say nothing. How much? It's better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. Keeping your word, telling the truth, following through with your commitments and being people of integrity, that is very pleasing to God. God is honored when you do that. And not only does it show respect to the people around you, but it also reveals self-respect. And self-respect is important. So many people today, they're discouraged, they're, they're frustrated, they, they're having struggles with life because they lack self-respect. They don't have the confidence. They, they, they feel inferior because they know they have not followed through with their commitments. Self-respect will influence and affect every relationship that you have, especially your relationship with God. And so if you give a commitment, if you say you're going to do something, then do it. So let me give you these three one more time. Seek God's will. Remember the poor. Keep your word. James says these are the good things that the people of God should be engaged in. These are attributes and characteristics that reveal a, a right relationship with God. Again, that's James 4.17. Anyone who knows the good they should do and ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. It's sin, missing the mark. Falling short of where God wants us to be. Pushing the arrow off the target. That's the bad news. But thankfully, there's also some good news in James. James chapter 5 and verse 15. It says if they have sinned or if they've missed the mark, they will what? Be forgiven. See, that's the reward that we have as believers when you put your trust in God. That's the reward we have when we make a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are forgiven of all of our sins. Sins of commission and omission. 1 John 1, 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In essence, what God does when we ask for forgiveness is he catches with his bare hand that wayward arrow, the one that's flying past the target, and he relocates it in the center of the black bullseye. He puts it there for us. And when we learn and understand that it's his kindness that leads to repentance, it's his goodness, it's his mercy and grace that causes us to understand 
that we've sinned, that's when we'll line up in front of the target and we'll attempt to shoot that arrow in a much straighter direction. The scripture says, when we miss the mark, he forgives us and he encourages us. I want to take a peek at one final passage here in James chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Here at our church, we stand on this passage. We believe it. When people are sick, we call for the elders. We call for the prayer warriors. We anoint with oil. We cry out to God and we pray a prayer of healing. We ask God to get involved and to help us. We reach out to him on the basis of this scripture and many others just like it. That's why we called Laura Cook out of the service last Sunday. If you were here, we, we prayed over her. We laid our hands and we anointed her with oil. She was involved in an accident and is temporarily paralyzed from the waist down. But we believe that the Lord's going to touch her and that she's going to walk again. Last Sunday, we took charge of our responsibility, according to James chapter 5, which is to pray. That's what God's asked us to do. His responsibility is to heal. We're not the healers. God is the healer. We're the ones who are called to pray by faith. And that's the order. We pray God heals. And I may still be old-fashioned in my faith, but I believe he's the God who heals us. And he still is a God of healing. And so if you're sick or you have a need, that's how we pray. We pray that God would touch you. There's one last story that I want to share with you. It's a very interesting story found in the Old Testament. I do not have the time to detail it out for you this morning. I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version. You can read all about it if you'd like uh, on your own time. And then right after I tell the story, I'm going to dismiss you to go up to the mezzanine and sign up for your life group, if you haven't already. In the books of Kings and the Chronicles, we're told that about 100 years after the reign of David, and you know, King David was one of the, uh, the most memorable, if not the best king in the history of God's covenant people, in the entire nation of Israel, there was King David. About 100 years after his reign was over, a man by the name of Asa became king. And Asa was one of the good guys. Asa followed in the footsteps of David. Asa served the Lord. Asa was a man who did what God required of him. And if you read through the kings, then you know not all the kings were like that. There were many kings who didn't follow in the ways of God. They didn't follow the law of Moses. They led the nation. They led the people in idolatry and, and in sin. But not Asa. Asa loved the Lord with all of his heart. Asa would go before the Lord and seek God whenever there was an issue, whenever there was a problem. He loved God. He worshiped God. He was a warrior, and he was a man of God. On one occasion, the Bible tells us that Asa and his people, his army and, and, and the people that lived in Israel at the time, they were about to be decimated by an opposing enemy. 
the enemy greatly outnumbered them. And so Asa went before the Lord and he appealed before God. And he, the, the scripture said he sought the Lord. And what he did is he, he, he prayed a prayer of faith. He said, Jehovah God, there is no one like you. You go before your people. You show your power. No enemy can defeat us when you are on our side. And as a result of that prayer of faith, what happened is the smaller army of Israel, their foot soldiers, went against the chariots of the enemy and they came out on top. They actually won the battle. And so over and over again, you read through the life of Asa and he's always turning to God. He's always calling upon the name of the Lord. He's leading God's people to a place of knowing their God. But you get all the way to the end of Asa's life. And here's what it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 12. In the 39th year of his reign, okay, 39 years of seeking the Lord and being a good king, it says Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. Though his disease was severe, even in his illness, Asa did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. The New Life Version says his disease was bad, But Asa did not trust in the Lord. He only trusted in the doctors. Interesting story here to close out this man's life. Because, you know, sometimes we can look to God and we can trust God for a bunch of things. And we get a call from somebody in our family or one of our friends or we hear a story and Somebody's in need and it breaks our heart. What do we do? We go to our knees and we start praying. We ask God to get involved. But when we have a problem, when we have an issue, when we are sick and something's wrong, sometimes we don't turn to God. Asa didn't. A man who went after God all of his life The the scripture specifically tells us he only trusted in the doctors. And let me say this very clearly because there are some in other camps who would say it differently. I believe in the medical field. If you have a need physically or emotionally, get to a doctor. Go see a doctor. There are medical miracles taking place every day. And the reason why the medical field, the doctors, the surgeons have so much brilliance is because God gave it to them. It's a gift from God. Do not bypass what the medical field can do for you. So doctors are good, but God is better. God is better. Let's not forget the power that we have in prayer. And as James closes out this incredible, inspirational book, he reminds us of that. He says, remember Elijah, a man just like us. He prayed and God heard him. So do the necessary things that you need to do whenever you have a need, but let's not forget about the power there is in the name of Jesus. All right, let's bow our heads for prayer. And at this time, I'm going to dismiss those of you who are life group leaders and need to make your way to the mezzanine. You can be dismissed while we close out here. And let's just try to focus for another minute or two. If you've been with us the last month, all four weeks, or even one or two, 
we've turned to the word of God without opinion, without interpretation of our own. We've attempted to communicate and articulate the issues that are pressing in the church today. And I trust that you've heard the Lord speak to your heart. And so my last appeal to you as we bring this series to a close is that you wouldn't just hear what the word of God has to say. That you wouldn't walk away and say, now I know the book of James better than I knew it before. But that like me, you will have applied to your life those words and messages that need to change something in your own heart. I'm going to encourage you to Make a list of these things because it's so easy to think about them and then let them go. Forget about them. Make a list. As the Lord has spoken to you, the Holy Spirit has shined the light on certain areas in your life, maybe corners that you haven't seen in a while, places that you haven't gone to in a while. And just say, Lord, I've missed the mark. My arrow has been shot wildly in this area of my life, and now I'm asking you to bring it back. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, for convicting my heart. Thank you, Lord. I want to be someone who is more in tune with your word. I want to be patient. I want to extend mercy because mercy triumphs over judgment. I want to add to my faith good deeds, Lord, by the grace that you provide for me. I want my life to be able to speak the gospel message so that all can see, not necessarily what I have to say, but the deeds done in my life, my character. Let it reflect the glory of God. And then, Lord, help me to do the good things. So often we focus in on some of the things we don't do and how we miss the mark and how we fall short and do things that we shouldn't do. Lord, help me to do the good things that I ought to do. Let me keep my word when I say something. Let me be a man or a woman of commitment. I pray, Lord God, that you would use us, that you would begin today, Lord, to place your anointing, your Holy Spirit, your light upon the church, that we could change things around, that we could shine forth the goodness of God in a dark and pretty evil world. So thankful, Lord, for a group of people that I sense in my own heart have a desire to do these things, are here by choice, seeking you, Lord, seeking your will for their lives. I pray, Lord, as they do that, you would respond to them, that you would reveal yourself to each and every person. The hardest thing for us to do is to come hard after you, to run hard after you, and to feel like you're nowhere to be found and you're not listening. Lord, I thank you for hearing and responding to the cries of your people to know your will and to walk in it. Pray your blessing, Lord, over the entire congregation. Bring before you all of the needs represented here, every physical 
emotional, relational, financial, every need, Lord. You're the God who hears us and responds. And we thank you for it. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.